Hey, welcome to the Street Shots Photography Podcast with the Switch to Manual guys. I'm Antonio, and welcome to episode number 61 for the end of September. And I believe in the uh, 60th episode with Tom, I did talk about trying to get three episodes out this month. And it looks like I'm only getting out two, one at the beginning of the month and one at the end of the month. Not quite the schedule I wanted, but I am technically still getting two episodes out a month. So I think I'm beginning to stick to my schedule, but this is definitely a last minute recording. I didn't get a chance to get Tom to, to join us, and usually he's not available on the weekends. And this is I'm recording this on uh, Saturday, September 30th. So, yeah, it is a last minute thing, but, you know, I, I did keep to my promise to get, get at least two episodes out this month. And, uh, you know, with any luck, I'll get one out in the middle of October and probably the end of October. So, you know, thank you guys for uh, being so patient with uh, me. And, uh, you know, a lot of life stuff has come up in the, again, in the past month. I'm spending a lot of time trying to work and make money. So it's a little hard to fit in a podcasting schedule uh, to to be able to um, put this out more than, certainly more than twice a month. It was not easy. And, uh, but I'm glad I have the opportunity now to, you know, put out a short episode and have you guys listen to me for a little while. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, I don't put you guys to sleep, you know. <laughs> Especially if you're, if you're driving, you don't want to be falling asleep while you're listening to me. Anyway, um, so it's the end of September. Uh, fall's kicking in. It's really suddenly got very cool here in New York. Uh, a couple days ago, it was really hot. And then in today is actually I've got the windows closed. So it's it got pretty cool. And uh, I, I actually look forward to fall uh, in general in New York because uh, I do enjoy the slight crisp weather. And one of the things I really, really enjoy is the way the light uh, is starting to um, get lower in the horizon, uh, you know, uh, with a late um, late sunrise and a and an early uh, sunset, and the light just gets to be really, really nice this time of year. Uh, really long shadows, um, you know, as we're getting set for winter. And I realize I, I like that kind of light a lot uh, when it's really sunny and contrasty, and um, it just it just does something to the way the city looks and it's really good for photography at least for the kind of photography I like to do um you know I'm doing a lot of street photography and it's really great to see the textures in people's faces and and whatnot so it's getting like that today although today is looking a little yeah it's looking a little gray today so I wasn't really out shooting today I was uh, um pretty much just actually spending time working so I figured I got some time. Let me put in a last minute uh, podcast episode and, uh, you know, see where we go from here. But I, I did have a couple of things I wanted to chat about. And uh, the first thing I would like to talk about is about a week and a half ago. Some of you may have heard uh, a photographer named uh, Pete Turner passed away. Uh, he was in his he was in his late 80s, and I believe he died of, of cancer. And uh, I mentioned him because I was actually, uh, I didn't know him personally so well. I, I knew really his through uh, him through his work. And um, I actually met him a couple times, and I'll, I'll go into that a, a little bit. So um, a little of the backstory here. In, and I've told you people this before, but uh, a while back in the mid-80s, I worked for a stock photo agency called The Image Bank. And Pete Turner was one of the, I believe he was one of the first photographers to uh, sign up for that stock agency. And when I worked there, actually when I first started working there, and I remember going to the offices for the first time, they had tons and tons of prints hanging on the walls, different photographers. But there was one picture that I recognized immediately, and it was uh, one of Pete Turner's pictures. And it was a shot of, uh, uh, it was sort of a blue shot, uh, hor um, horizontal shot that was, a, a, was sort of like a picket fence that led off into the distance and then sort of curved around. And then on the far end of the fence, there was a street and you could see the taillights of cars. It was shot at dusk or at night and the, the color is very blue and you can see the red lights of the, of the cars on the streets. And it's a very, very graphic uh, image. And the, immediately I recognized that picture from the cover of Omni magazine. Now, some of you are not going to even remember this. <laughs> some of you do. 
But in the 80s, uh, Bob Guccione from Penthouse Magazine, of, of all places, decided to publish a science-slash-science fiction magazine called Omni. And I remember getting that first, uh, that first issue of Omni Magazine, and it had a, a crop of Pete Turner's picture on the cover. Now, I didn't know it was Pete Turner's picture then. I mean, I, I, maybe I looked at the credits, but it, you know, it wouldn't have made any difference to me then. Uh, but I remember being very attracted to that cover and it looked very futuristic and it just and it seemed to fit the magazine so well. And so when I first started working at the image bank and I finally found one of Pete Turner's pictures hanging in the wall, I'm like, Hey man, that's the guy whose pictures on Omni magazine. I'm like, damn, I'm really working in a cool place. And, uh, during my time at image bank, uh, I, I worked in a lot of jobs. I had a, uh, a stint working in the library where I had to actually understand where all the pictures were stored in the files. And, you know, as I started to get to know the files, I really started to get to know a lot of photographers' work. But one um, one photographer really stood out was Pete Turner. And for, for a bunch of reasons. Um, first of all, his, his photography uh, was very, um, let's see, I'll go through some of the things I thought about. First of all, it was very futuristic. Some of the pictures they had on the wall in Image Bank were... Um, some of his abstract shapes and uh, double exposure uh, images. Um, for instance, there was a, a shot of all these sort of uh, geometric figures um, with clouds in the background, and it was a mirror image of itself in the bottom. And it's a very, very graphic image. And another shot of a what looks like a cannonball on the wall of some sort of maybe adobe structure, very blue picture. Um, what was the other pictures? Uh, there was there was a whole bunch of pictures. Oh, here's another one. There was uh, again the, he used these shapes and uh, sort of mirrored them with stars in the background and a moon and whatnot and, and and very futuristic. And I've always been into science fiction and sort of futuristic image images. And so his pictures really stood out and uh, for me and really resonated. And then as I got to look into the files more as I started to work further into Image Bank. His pictures, he did a lot of different different uh, style pictures. He did these abstract pictures. He did travel pictures. Uh, he did some uh, pictures, uh, portraits of people in Africa. A lot of a lot of shots from Africa. Um, what else did he do? Um, these great uh, images of walls and um, like Adobe structures with skies and stairs and um, very colorful. I think the one thing that Pete Turner really uh, grasped was color. The guy embraced color. And uh, and I'll put a link to his website uh, in the show notes so that you guys can see it. But it's it's basically PeteTurner.com. And you can see a really uh, fairly good selection of his work there. And I remember that uh, I was really, back then I was really attracted to color pictures. I was shooting uh, mostly slide film. Uh, when I got into the Image Bank, I was still in college, and I was uh, really getting into the idea of maybe becoming more of a, an advertising photographer, or certainly a photographer who would be submitting to a stock agency. And I remember really uh, digging Turner's work because I really liked I really liked color. I loved the simplicity of his images. And one of the things that I had learned while I worked there was he ended up this is obviously pre-Photoshop, but he did a lot of special effect work that uh, was sort of groundbreaking at the time. One of the ways he got some of his really intense color and contrast was he would take his pictures and he would duplicate them onto uh, more slide film so that he would increase the contrast and saturation of the colors by, by duplicating them again onto film. And I think he would do this several times. And because of that, they would build up contrast and build up color. And he would create these really kind of cool effects by just, there we go, we got an ambulance coming by. He these great effects by just duplicating his pictures onto other film. Now, he shot a lot of Kodachrome. He was very well known for shooting Kodachrome. And what he would do is he would duplicate a shot. He would take a picture and he would put it into a, a specially made slide duplicator. And he'd load up his camera with more Kodachrome film. And he would just take a picture of his original shot. 
And the way Kodachrome worked is that if you generally with, with most films, if you photographed another piece of film, you would end up building contrast and and uh, saturation, especially if you're doing duplicating color on color. But he used that to his effect. So you would get these really saturated blues and reds and really deep, deep shadows, uh, deep blacks. And, and Kodachrome was a really rich film to begin with. Uh, and and then he would you know submit those pictures to uh, the image banker for his portfolio or create prints from them. And they were just really spectacular. He would even do... Uh, double exposures inside of his camera. He had a uh, a special camera, uh, a Nikon, I think, that was modified to be able to do double exposures. There was a place in uh, New York City. Um, I can't remember the name of it. It was a photo repair place. I used to go there all the time to fix my cameras, uh, run by a guy named Marty Forsher. So for any of you guys who are of that age, you probably would recognize that name. But this guy was like the premier... Um, premier camera repairer and actually he would also create cameras and as a side note before we had (laughs) before we had digital cameras some of us had these cameras that were modified so that you could put polaroid film in them so we would take a 35 millimeter camera or actually not the whole camera but maybe just the back of the camera where the uh, um, where the film plane was and you'd have that removed and then you could have that replaced with a special back that had a Polaroid holder in it so that what you could do is while you're on a shoot, you could load it up full of Polaroid film. You could take some test shots. Actually, you could take two test shots per uh, strip of Polaroid film. You had to like take a shot and you pulled out the film slightly. You could take a second shot and then you'd pull the Polaroid film out and then you would have uh, you know, sort of two test photographs of what you were about to take so that you would then put your film back in the camera and you put the original back back on the camera and you'd have some sort of idea of how your film might come out. At least you'd know your exposure was right and maybe your your framing was quite right. Um, the, the film and the Polaroid really never matched entirely. But I had one of these, in fact, I still have somewhere uh, one of these Polaroid backs and they were made by Marty, Marty Forsher. He would, I think he was exclusive to making these Polaroid backs. They were very expensive and very hard to come by. And I got one on eBay, and that's a long story, uh, which I won't go into now, but it, it was actually a, a piece of stolen equipment <laughs> that I bought off of eBay. But um, Marty would be able to modify these cameras, and apparently he modified a Nikon for P. Turner so that P. Turner could then do double exposures inside the camera. Now, a lot of the film cameras today... Uh, and you forget digital. Digital has it, of course. But uh, some of the modern 35 uh, millimeter cameras have the ability to do a double exposure. And basically what would ha- what happens is that you're able to, on a regular 35 millimeter camera, you take a picture and then you wind the film and the film gets advanced. And then your shutter gets reset and then you can take another picture. With the, the modern cameras now, uh, the, some of the film cameras, is that you can uh, take a picture and reset the uh, um, the shutter without actually advancing the film. The, the the advances actually can be turned off. So you wind the you know quote unquote the film advance lever. The film doesn't advance. The shutter gets reset, and then you can take a second picture on the same piece of film. So before modern cameras had that, Marty Forsher built one of these for Pete Turner so that he could do some of his special effects. And Pete used them a lot to. Uh, I believe when he was duplicating his film, he would sometimes take a picture and then put a new filter onto his camera or onto the duplicator and move the images or the the um, objects, whatever he was photographing, and then take a second exposure. And then he would come out with a Kodachrome original that had two exposures on it with whatever um, subject was on that. So he he did a lot of this kind of work. And... You know, he, he passed away. I didn't know that he was sick. Um, uh, I'm sure it wasn't widely known uh, to a lot of people. Uh, but I was like, wow, you know, he, you know, he passed away. And did he have an effect on my photography, um, you know, influence in the way I take pictures? And I thought about it and I realized he did a lot, especially because when I was working at the Image Bank, 
I'm surrounded by pictures all the time and I'm putting them in and out of the files and I'm looking at them and sometimes I was, later on I was editing them um, and I'm surrounded by all of this this guy's work hanging on the walls and I realized that, uh, you know, I think I got my love of saturated uh, color based on looking at Pete Turner's work all the time. And I didn't, I didn't ever get a chance to talk to him. I mean, we, you know, we might have passed by each other. We worked in, the, you know, I worked in the offices at Image Bank, and he would have probably come in. And, you know, I wasn't quite a fanboy, and I really didn't know him personally. And although I did go up to his studio once. In um, boy, we're having a. <laughs> I'm gonna let this go by for a second here. There we go. That's New York for you. Uh, he had a studio in Carnegie Hall. Now, I, I thought when I first heard that, you know, he's got a studio in Carnegie Hall. I didn't quite understand. <laughs> I thought Carnegie Hall was a was a place where people played music. But uh, there were there was an attached building, and he had a studio up there. I think I visited him there once. And, you know, we had a professional. Like, I met him a couple times and said hi and stuff like that. But I never really, um, you know, fanboyed him at all or um, or anything like that. It was like we were both working, in a sense, for the same agency. And it was just, you know ships passing in the night kind of thing. But, um, you know, I'm looking at his work now after he passed away and I'm thinking, boy, did, did, did I a lot of times try to copy what he was doing, <laughs> especially in the early eighties when I was, I was still in school and, uh, I was shooting Kodachrome then as well. And I would just, uh, you know, there's some pictures that I, I remembered. I can't, I can't, um, I can't show them to you because I don't know where they are at the moment. I've got tons and tons of slides everywhere. But there's this like uh, one shot that he has of a, a tractor trailer truck, the front of it, on a road. And it's a very wide angle shot and there's sort of a mountainscape in the background. And I realized I did a similar kind of shot like that in New York City with like a with a, a van and showing the East River in the background. And it's almost I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, my, that the picture that I did was framed almost exactly the same. And I realized that there was a lot of stuff that, you know, I, uh, I wouldn't say copied, but sort of mimicked in a way. Um, and especially, you know, underexposing Kodachrome film a lot to get those really saturated colors. I didn't have a slide duplicator to do what he did, at least not at the time when I first saw his work. But I did, after some time, try to figure out how to acquire one. And I, and I did acquire one. Um, it kind of looks like an upside down and larger with a, um, a place where you mount the camera on top and they have a sort of a big light box in the bottom with a few dials where you can dial in uh, colored filters and you can put a slide on there and you attach your camera and there was a bellows so that you could get um, uh, very close shots of whatever you were duplicating and you just put your camera on top and you sort of take pictures of it. Oh, and by the way, usually duplicating slides um, way back when was... Typical, if you didn't want to send out your original slides, you would duplicate them and then you would process that film and then you would send out the duplicates. And there was a low contrast slide duplicating film. And I, for the life of me, cannot remember the name of it other, other than calling it duping film. It was a Kodak duping film. And it was a very, very low contrast film. Because like what I was telling you before is that when you took regular film and you duplicated it onto regular film, the contrast built up. So the special duping film was a very low ISO film and was a very low contrast. And so that when you actually duplicated the slide, you wouldn't build up any more contrast. And so the duplicate would look, well, pretty close to the original. But the duplicate was the duplicate film was always ectochrome and it was really kind of a crappy film base and it was never really sharp. And so you could always tell a difference between a, um, an original slide and a duplicate slide. You know, if you look carefully enough, you could tell. And part of my job at the Image Bank was uh, being able to spot duplicates from originals because uh, sometimes a photographer would submit uh, duplicates because he didn't want to submit the original slide. He would keep the original in his files, and then he would submit duplicates, and we were like, uh-uh, you can't, we can't accept duplicates. But Pete Turner was an exception because his technique and his style was based on uh, duplication. And, you know, what we would do is when, when someone would edit his pictures and say, okay, we want Pete, we want this one and this one and this one for the files. Uh, instead of him giving us the originals, he would go back to his studio and he would create uh, a whole selection of um, 
duplicated originals or original duplicates, however you want to call it. And then he would and deliver those to us as original um, film, even though it was technically a duplicate. But, you know, the built up contrast and the um, uh, oversaturated colors was, again, part of his style. So those kind of pictures were, uh, you know, they were acceptable. So anyway, I'm getting into sort of the the side story about him. And I, I really think that if you go to look at his work, you can see how. A lot of his pictures, um, you know, he was doing a lot of this stuff, but like I said, before Photoshop, before I think people were thinking about uh, color in in the way that Pete is with this incredible saturation. I mean, he really embraced color, you know, and and very, very simple subject matter. Uh, I believe he did shoot a lot for he did shoot a lot for advertising and uh, he did create a very distinctive style. And, you know, I think it behooves you to go back and, and take a look at some of his pictures. You can see where uh, a lot of people have been influenced, maybe not directly, but, you know, maybe secondarily. Um, uh, as, as we're, you know, thinking about what it means to be a photographer and where our roots are from, you know, Pete Turner is certainly one of those pioneers of uh, manipulated photography uh but there's something about a there's a purity to his work you know like like i said he was he was working certainly post uh pre photoshop uh he did embrace photoshop and lightroom when they came out and he was using that a lot but i really think there was something simple and nice about the stuff that he was doing sort of in camera and with film itself and um i don't know if we'll ever be able to sort of capture that again uh and so uh, I, he's going to be missed, and he certainly had an influence on a on a lot of us and uh, you know, photographers like. Um, let's see, off the top of my head, I think uh, um, Eric Miola was a, uh, I think worked for him, and uh, a photographer named Rob Atkins, and uh, my gosh, my brain is is failing. <laughs> this is what happens when I get old. I can't remember all the photographers I worked with that that had. Uh, direct influence but i'm sure you know i can go back to the archives of uh, image bank and and the um alumnus and say you know was a p turner an influence and i'm sure a lot of people are going to raise their hands uh and say yes so um go go and and check out his work you know remember the context that it was done in uh you know it's pre-photoshop uh pre-digital all in-camera work um but his vision was really um it was something else you know and he uh, he entered my life when I was in an early age, so it's a he's a he's a big influencer, and uh, I'm sad to uh, hear of his passing, and uh, you know my condolences and I go out to his family and his friends and uh, all of those that were those of us who were uh, moved by his work. Um, he'll be missed, and uh, uh, but his photography lives on. So, Pete Turner. So another thing I'd like to talk to you about is that I don't know if I've mentioned this a bunch of times, but I teach a street photography class in New York, uh, sorry, in Brooklyn at a place that I work at called Brick Arts Media. Uh, we do a, they do a street photography class about once a month there. And it's a three hour class. And, uh, oh, if you're ever in Brooklyn and you want to take a class with me, uh, it's a very good way to get to meet me and get to hear some of my thoughts and ideas about street photography and it's only 20 bucks um believe me it's a it's well worth it the uh, the classes at brick are very very inexpensive you can learn a lot from uh, photography digital photography to video production to audio and and whatnot but uh i teach the i teach a street photography class which which was made specifically for me and i'm not kind of patting myself on the back but the guy who's in charge of making classes there uh, i convinced him at some point to buy I think it was a Fuji X70, and uh, he actually started following my street photography, I think on Instagram, and then bounced the idea off of me about uh, wanting to do a street photography class. And I said, hell yes. <laughs> and I got the chain, I got the chance to create the class myself with the, the slideshow and the sort of the, the pacing of the, the, um, the, you know, the presentation and the pacing of the, the going out and shooting and coming back. I mean, I got to set up the whole curriculum. I do it once a month, three hours. 
And uh, I usually get about eight to 10 students. Sometimes I get less. Uh, one time I didn't get any students and I had to cancel the class and I was really bummed out by that. But um, anyway, I just taught one. Today is Saturday. I had one yesterday uh, in the middle of the day, which is weird to have one on a Friday. Um, but uh, it was a full class. It was great. And one of the things that I do, the first, the way the class I structure it is that first I do a slideshow and um, I really hope I don't put people to sleep. I mean, I know slideshows are terrible, but I, my, my idea behind it is to really get people jazzed for street photography. And then, you know, after the slideshow, we then do a quick photo walk. And it's not the kind of photo walk generally about like all of us walking together. I really like people to sort of go off on their own. I do tell people it's like if they want to follow me, that's great. And, you know, I show them where I'm going to walk to. But I sort of encourage them to like go and, you know, uh, walk around for like 40 minutes to an hour on their own and then come back. And this way we don't get a lot of sort of duplicate shots. And then uh, for the last part of the class, uh, for the few brave souls who are willing to pass over their uh, SD chips to me and I pop them into the computer and we start looking at the raw pictures and uh, and then and then if we usually have a few minutes left I show people how I process my pictures on my phone it's a really intricate kind of setup trying to get my phone to be on a projector but it, it works most of the time um, but one of the things I wanted to sort of uh, go over and tell you guys about I mean I, I the, the class I mean one of the things about the class is like it's such a mix of people coming into this class. I mean, some people are learning photography for the first time. Some people are, um, they want to learn how to use their camera. I mean, it's not, it's really not the best class for that. I tell them it's not a technical class. So I can try to talk to them about some of the aspects of it, but you know, it's not really about learning how to shoot in manual. Um, but let's see, other people want to, um, you know, are, are learning photography and want to like go through all the different aspects of photography. And some people are like, you know, they live in New York and they want to take street shots. And so it's always a really interesting mix of people. And generally the way the class runs is I ask everybody what's their, you know, what what brought them to this, you know, class? What do they want to learn? And, you know, like I said, I get the, I get a mixed bag of, of answers. And then I tell them, I said, look, you know, one of the things I want to do here, I'm trying to show you guys, you know, street photography. Now, I have been doing it not that long relative to, uh, many other people who do it for, you know, as sort of a living and as a career. I've been doing it for like, geez, a handful of years. And I'm trying to distill into them in three hours what the essence of street photography is. And I'm only going to tell you that is not easy <laughs> to do. <laughs> um, it is a challenge to try to uh, bring across to a diverse group of people my love of what I'm doing get them psyched and inspired and then go out and come back and see what the results are I go out and shoot and, you know, see what happens. And I generally start off the show with, uh, like a handful of photographers, uh, some of them, uh, whom I've, I've interviewed on this show, uh, and with like, you know, about six or seven of each of their pictures just to give them, uh, you know, a taste of what uh, other photographers do. And I start way back with, you know, Brisson and Walker Evans and, uh, you know, I go into Bruce Davidson and then, uh, you know, Keith Goldstein and uh, even Jeffrey Stone, uh, who I had on here uh, a few episodes back. And then, of course, you know, I show my my own pictures to say, you know, so you see I'm not a fraud. I'm actually <laughs> actually know what I'm talking about. Um, and my idea is to get their eyes sort of oriented into thinking about what it means to take pictures uh, on the street. And, you know, one of the things I also talk about is like, what is street photography? What do we define it as? And I like to then say, like, you know, it's I I'll call it observational photography, life photography, or basically, you know, have uh, you take pictures of something that I have not seen before now. I think I got a kitten in here making noise. Hold on a second. Hey, get down. Opie, what are you doing? Hey. What are you doing? All right. <laughs> I got a cat interfering with my podcast because he's playing with the... Uh... Let me just get over here for a second. Opie, get down. Hey, get down. I, I should have him on the show, right? He's a very talkative little cat. So, uh, anyway, um, I get them into this 
frame of mind to look at pictures, to start looking at other people's work, to look at what the possibilities are. You know, oh, Elliot Erwitt's work. I get to, I love showing his work. Uh, a lot of New York stuff, you know, taking pictures of animals, getting down on the ground with them. Uh, just you know, all the possibilities of what the, uh, all the possibilities of what you can do when you're shooting out in the street. And then I go into all the sort of lessons that I've learned and pass them along at least at least as much as I can handle. And, that, you know, and like what are the I want to say rules of street photography. I say I put it on the screen as, you know, the rules of street photography. But it really is just sort of these are the things I've learned over the time I've been doing this. And you guys can benefit from this stuff. And I just call it rules because it helps them remember that, you know, like these are the things you do. Like don't no no chimping on your pictures. You know, what's chimping is like, well, don't look at your pictures after you shot them because you're going to miss everything around it. Or, uh, you know, what are the uh, oh, I won't go into them. There's a whole bunch of things. And then, oh, and the other thing I go into is, you know, self-assigned work. Like if you don't know what you're going to go do when you go outside, try to pick, you know, one subject and, and photograph it. Like stay in one location and, and you know, explore one location. We take pictures of garbage. That's one of the fun ones. People are like, what? And I was looking through my, you know, archives to put these pictures together. It's like, well, you know, I take pictures of garbage a lot and it makes a very interesting subject or, you know, animals or anything, anything to lock on to. And just at the point where everybody's, you know, I don't want to put them to sleep, but I got to get them sort of jazzed because then they go out with these pictures in their mind. Like these are the possibilities. Like, wow, I didn't know I could shoot like this. I didn't know I could shoot in the, on this angle. I don't know if I can go to the floor. I could shoot like this or put a dog on the floor, you know, whatever it is. My, my whole uh, task is to try to get them to think how to look through their camera differently. And and then uh, because we're in the middle of Brooklyn, we're, we, we're in sort of downtown area. So it's a really kind of a good area to go out and shoot in the middle of the day. There's a lot of people walking around. And uh, there's a lot of interesting, you know, there's some street art out there. And there's some really interesting architecture and, and whatnot. And, it's, and people within an hour can actually come back with a pretty good selection of work. And so we go out for an hour. I tell everybody, look, this is where I'm going to walk. I'm going to walk this route, this route, this route. I'm going to end up on this corner in case you need me. You can find me here. Uh, I'll be standing there and uh, you can either call me or you can stop up to me if you want to ask me questions. But I'm going to stand on this corner and, and hang out. And, you know, make sure you show back, at the, show back up at the class in 45 minutes to an hour, whatever the time is. And uh, when everybody comes back, and it takes a few minutes for everybody to get settled, but um, I'm often I'm often the first person to pop my the camera's chip uh, memory chip into the computer and start scanning through like what did I just shoot? Uh, I usually don't do that, and I like telling them like I usually don't show people my raw pictures. But you know, in front of a class, I figure it's a helpful thing to do. It just gets everybody. Well, you know, look, this guy, you know. He's showing his best work, but look, look what he does. He can miss the shot once in a while, or look, he's thinking differently or whatever. And it gets, uh, my goal there is to help them to, you know, maybe say, it, 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 I can do this kind of stuff too. Look at this guy. He's been doing it for a while. Um, I'm sure I can get there as well. So I love showing my pictures and I'm, I'm flipping through them. I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I missed that one completely. And I get, you know, good laughs from that. And then, you know, we got some time to generally look through two or three people's work very fast and they pass me the chips. And as as an instructor, I'm really kind of blown away sometimes by seeing what people have sort of listened to in the first part uh, when we had the presentation. And I can see like direct results of that, like someone's getting down on the ground and taking a picture of a dog or someone's panning their camera to do some speed shots or or whatnot, and I can already see that they're beginning to think um, slightly differently. At least, you know, many, most of the time, you know, there there's some inspiration there. They've gone out, they've directly applied what we were talking about into this short period of time. And again, we only have three hours, so that and, and frankly, three hours goes by really fast. I'd, I'd rather have a class that's longer, so I could send them out and do assignments and come back. But we, you know, I don't have that time, and so I've got to. I got to sort of parcel out the time as best I can. And, um, but for me as the instructor, it's really 
exciting to see in that short period of time that maybe not everybody, but the few people who are, whose work I, I see and, and I can see in some of the shots that they've, they've heard what I was talking about, they understand, or at least something's getting through. And they come back with a shot that I'm, I'm looking at and saying, wow, man, I wish I took that shot. Uh, it's a really, for me, I get so happy to, to see that somehow I'm passing along something in a very, very short period of time. And um, there's a lot of satisfaction there uh, for me. Um, and I'm just mentioning this because, you know, Switch to Manual is uh, we've been doing, we were doing, we started off by doing workshops, uh, teaching people how to shoot in manual. And then eventually the workshops sort of faded away because, you know, having a venue in New York City is kind of expensive and really trying to build an audience was really hard. I've been trying to... I've been thinking about actually bringing the class back, but doing it virtually. Uh, but let me get to that in a second. But, you know, Switch to Manual was really always about uh, instruction and teaching and sharing things about photography. And this is sort of now extended out to this um, street photography class that I do in, in uh, conjunction with Brick. And lately I've been thinking, and I probably mentioned this before, but I'm thinking about bringing this class online somehow uh, in a virtual classroom. Nothing new, right? Everybody's been doing this before, so it's nothing new, but I've never done it before. And, um, you know, not everybody can come to Brooklyn to take my street photography class uh, at Brick, but I was thinking, well, what if I did something like that where um, I could present my, you know, my slideshow and inspirational talk to everybody and then have everybody go out wherever they're located, go out and shoot pictures based, you know, on what we talked about. And then, I don't know, come back like 24 hours later or, you know, an hour later. I haven't quite figured out the timing and, you know, finding some way to share the pictures so that everybody could see them, you know, uh, we spend like an, you know about an hour, and and then I'm also able to finalize my presentation by showing maybe my pictures and perhaps doing some of uh, way to show how I process my pictures because uh, right now I process my pictures on the iPhone, and I love showing people how I how I do that how I've moved away from Photoshop and Lightroom, and I keep my my um, my uh, processing now very mobile and quick, but. Um, Anyway, I'm thinking about doing this, and I, I'm sort of this is sort of a long way of asking, you know, there's a this audience that uh, you guys are out there, um, very technical oriented. I'm sure if anybody's got any thoughts about a whether or not a class like that would be very interesting or not, um, and b uh, technically how it would be done, and you know, off the top of my head, I'm thinking, well, maybe Google Hangouts is one way to do it. Uh, but I'm not quite sure how to do it where I can share pictures with everybody and we can all see everybody else's work. So um, if any of you have an idea about how this could be done, uh, could you guys drop me a line at uh, info at switch to manual.com or even, you know, uh, on Twitter, uh, which is uh, our Twitter handle is at uh, switch, the number two manual, so switch to manual. You drop me a line if you've got any thoughts about this. I'd be really interested. And also, if anybody's actually interested in a class like that, uh, learning about street photography uh, in a virtual way. I mean, like I said, you can't all get to Brooklyn, but if you were willing to hang out for a couple of hours online and, you know, like I said, I tell the class street photography isn't always about having to be in New York City or an urban environment to take pictures. You could be in the middle of, you know, farmland or in the middle of the desert or whatever, you know. And street photography is almost not the right name for it, but um, you could be kind of anywhere doing this. And uh, I'm just trying to figure out a way that I can spread this out some more so that I'm not just limited to doing it in Brooklyn. So if there's if you guys out there have any interest in this or any ideas about how I can do this, please drop me a line. I'd be very, very happy and uh, it'd be really helpful to... Uh, you know, for me figuring this out and being able to share this with more people uh, other than in the tri-state area. So, um, again, drop me a line at uh, info at switchtomanual.com and uh, let's see where we can go. And I love teaching this class. I love showing people 
photography. I love seeing the results of people's photography, um, certainly based on on what I can teach them in, in a short period of time. And, and hopefully it's just a taster just to get, you know, your feet wet into this kind of photography or in this kind, in, in this kind of thinking. Um, and, uh, you know, I would like to export it to the world. And the last thing I want to talk about, it's a quick thing. It's sort of a self promo thing, <laughs> but, uh, next week, October, let me just get the right date here before I start talking about stuff. October, next Saturday, October 7th, uh, I am leading a photo walk <laughs> in Brooklyn at the at Greenwood Cemetery as part of the uh, Kelby uh, Worldwide Photo Walk event. The, if anybody is not aware of this, you know, Scott Kelby of uh, Photoshop and Lightroom, you know, uh, guru person, book writer and everything like that, every year has a um, uh, basically a worldwide photo walk. And he gets everybody around the world to take pictures on the same day and what ends up happening is that, you know, many, many groups of people around the world go and take pictures on that one day. And the pictures go into each group gets to uh, each leader of each group gets to pick a winner of their group. And those pictures go on to, um, you know, possibly win prizes. And it's a lot of fun. You just know that there's a whole bunch of people around the world on the same day walking and taking pictures. And there's a, a photo contest. Let me see the photo contest. You submit pictures. And Kelby is going to review uh, all the individual walk winners and pick one grand prize winner. And what is the grand prize? I don't know what the <laughs> grand prize is. Uh, oh, here we go. Wow. So the grand prize is an EOS M5 um, EFM, so a Canon uh, EOS M5 EFM with an 18 to 150 millimeter lens. Uh also a Pixma, Pixma Pro printer, a BNH gift certificate, a Drobo. Wow, there's a lot of stuff in here. Um, a Streetwalker rolling bag, a think tank um, bag, $500 Westcott gift certificate. My gosh, this is more stuff than I thought. Um, a, a year membership to Creative Cloud and a year membership to Kelby One. Wow, so that's a grand prize. It's a of uh, almost a $5,000 value. So if you go to one of these walks and your picture is picked for the local walk winner and that goes into the uh, big um, pool and then uh, Kelby gets to pick a winner. There are 10 finalists prizes and they're, they're a little bit, you know, it's about $700 value, but still, you know, a gift certificate to B&H, a gift certificate to the Drobo store, think tank bag, and a bunch of gift certificates. Oh, you're, um, Another year uh, with Creative Cloud and Kelby One. And there's a People's Choice Award, which is a camera. Wow. Wow, there is a lot of stuff here. Youth competition prizes. Anyway, you can go to the site, which is uh, worldwidephotowalk.com, and you can see all the different prizes that are available. And uh, I've led this walk in Brooklyn a bunch of times. Mostly I've done it in Red Hook. So that's the same area where Switch to Manual has done their uh, where we did it, we've done our classes, which is basically the, the, um, it's the, uh, waterside part of Brooklyn, a little bit of a funky area. And last year I did not lead it. And, uh, I think I was busy. It was we had an event that, uh, family event, so I couldn't go. Um, but I led it for a bunch of years and I decided to do it again this year. And I changed, uh, my location of where I was going to do it. I decided not to do Red Hook because, well, Red Hook technically is becoming a little bit of a, a destination and not very interesting anymore photographically. It's not as, uh, let's say, edgy. And I really liked the edginess of it. And it's now turning into a tourist destination. It's not quite gentrified or anything like that yet. But some of what's going on there is just, I didn't think it was, I didn't think it was as exciting photographically. So, but I used to have, I used to have, uh, I think each walk can have up to 50 people and they'd always, they'd always fill up. I'd get 50 people and I'd have a waiting list. Um, usually not everybody would show up. I end up having sometimes about 30 people, uh, uh on average, but, um, each walk got filled up. 
This year I decided to do Greenwood Cemetery, which is a really great historic cemetery in Brooklyn, uh, actually not that far from where I live. And I thought, well, you know what? I never did one. I never, I never did a photo walk in in Greenwood Cemetery. I've gone and done my pictures there. I've done a lot of great photography there. And there's tons of things to photograph there. I mean, it's it's historic. It's got uh, a lot of famous people buried there. It's a beautiful landscape. A lot of the mausoleums and headstones are just, you know, are really beautifully done, sculpture wise. And you can make some really, really good photography there. And I posted it on, uh, you know, I got picked to do a, be a leader for the photo walk and I posted it and I, I recently checked and I got only about, hang on a second, I think we've got maybe about 40 people, no, not 40 people signed up, not even close, I think I had about like 20 people signed up. Now, I'm not sure if people are spooks about going to a, going to a, um, a graveyard to take pictures. Um, but I was kind of expecting a little bit more. Now I haven't been promoting it and it's kind of a reason I'm, I'm mentioning it here and it's like really you only have about a week to go to, um, uh, sign up for it. And you, you do have to sign up, uh, to become sort of an official to, so I could pick your picture as part of the contest. Um, and yeah, let's see, I've got, uh, 35 openings left. So 15 people have signed up. So I'm posting this here so that if anybody's in the tri-state area, so uh, if you're in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, uh, or you're going to be in the New York area on uh, next weekend and you want to have a really fun time with a bunch of photographers walking around a really cool place, go to go to the worldwidephotowalk.com and, and look for the photo walk in Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn uh, and sign up. It's three hours. We're doing it from 10 to 1. And... Uh, when we're done, we'll probably go just find a place to grab a bite. There's a couple of cool little divey restaurants. I don't mean divey, but, you know, nothing fancy. Just something to grab some uh, Spanish food or something like that and uh, hang out and, you know, talk pictures and stuff like that. And it looks to be a good time. Greenwood Cemetery, uh, if you've seen my pictures of Greenwood, there is just so much to shoot there. And uh, it is one of the places where uh, one of the battles from the uh, uh, Revolutionary War was fought. I mean, there was... Revolutionary War was fought all over Brooklyn, but there's a specific uh, hill there that uh, was fought over by the uh, by the British and uh, um, at that point the, the rebels. <laughs> but the, I think there was a uh, I can't remember the specific history there, but it, there's a lot of history in there. Uh, and uh, again, the the architecture of the mausoleums are you, it, it's just a photographic um, gold mine and. Uh, you know, the it doesn't cost anything to sign up for the photo walk. Um, so I give you, you know, uh, a chance to sign up and hang out with me. What I am noticing is sort of my, I, I did notice that in the pa private past years, at least in the years that I was f uh, being leader, not last year, but there were sometimes between, you know, over 30,000 people signing up for these walks. And I'm noticing today... As of today, it's only about 16,000 people signed up around the world for photo walks. So that's a very interesting thing. I wonder if that's a trend or there's just something going on this year that not everybody wants to go on a photo walk. Um, I like photo walks. They're a lot of fun. I like to hang out with people and take pictures. And uh, let's hope that there's uh, that more people sign up for it because it seems to be a kind of fun day. So anyway, that's it for me talking your ear off. I think I talked longer than I expected. <laughs> Jesus, almost an hour. Uh, not quite, about 50 minutes. But uh, yeah, we will uh, work on uh, October having a couple of episodes. I know that the Photo Expo is happening uh, sometime in October. In the past couple of years, I've gone there and interviewed people. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that this year. I don't know yet because I have a, uh, a day job when I have to check out my schedule and see what, what I'm doing. But if I am able to, I will attend the uh, photo expo and see what kind of fun stuff I can find and share with you, uh, with you all. And uh, you know, we'll see where Tom is at at some point. Um, if I don't get Tom, then maybe Mac or Sid from the Sid and Mac uh, uh, Shutter Time with Sid and Mac get one of those guys to uh, co-host with me. And uh, 
I've got a whole bunch of people online I want to uh, interview. So, you know, we'll see. Again, I, I am going to attempt to get two episodes out in October. And uh, that's my goal to, to bring us up to two episodes a month. Uh, hopefully, you know, every 15 days or so, if I, if I can manage that. Uh, and uh, we'll see how it goes. But uh, thanks for sticking in with uh, us and uh, subscribing. And we really, really appreciate your support. And if you want to look for our work, you can go to our website, which is switchtomanual.com. And we're also on the Facebooks. We like Facebook, so check us out on Facebook. We're on Twitter and Instagram at uh, switch, the number two manual. So both places get the same address. And, you know, if you like what we're doing here and you want to help support us, we would really appreciate it. We have uh, tip cups uh, available on our Podbean page and our uh, uh, homepage uh, where, where the podcast, uh, where the show notes are. And if you want to throw us a few bits of chum chance, you know, we'd really appreciate it. It helps offset some of the cost of production. And, uh, you know, someday I'd like to be able to break even on this <laughs> someday. It's not making it a job, obviously. But, uh, you know, it, it takes some effort to put this out and uh, any any kind of uh, help would be appreciated. And for those of you who have thrown us champions, we really, really, really appreciate it. I'm just uh, amazed by some of the support we've already gotten by some of our listeners. So, you know, thanks a lot. And uh, from the you know bottom of our hearts, we really, really appreciate it. And, you know, another way to support our site is that we also are doing portfolio reviews. So if you want to get your pictures reviewed by some professionals and get some good feedback, you can check out our portfolio reviews on our homepage. Uh, so slash portfolios. And we have different tiers if you want us to look at certain pictures. And you send them to us and we give you some feedback. So that's one great way to support us. And again, I've been saying this for a while, but soon we'll be, uh, some point I'll be uh, putting up uh, Tom and my uh, imagery on site and you can uh, buy our prints and that'll be another great way to support our site. So I think that's it until, yeah, until, you know, next time. Hopefully I'll see some of you guys at the photo walk uh, in uh, Greenwood Cemetery. And uh, until then, uh, I'll see you later. And as Tom would say, adios. Adios.